You're listening to The Invisible Addiction, a podcast series investigating problem gambling in the UK. In this episode, I speak with Matt Gaskell, clinical lead and consultant psychologist for the NHS Northern Gambling Service. I wanted to find out about the treatment that clinics provide and hear Matt's views on the landscape of the gambling industry. How do we define a gambling addiction? What help do the NHS clinics provide? And how can we make gambling safer in the future? Matt is a fantastic human being, doing amazing things for so many people affected by gambling. You can follow him on Twitter and also follow the NHS Northern Gambling Clinics. I'll leave links in the description. Finally, if you haven't already, do check out theinvisibleaddiction.com with links to podcasts, blogs, blog posts, and more importantly, support networks in the UK for people struggling with gambling problems. Without further ado, here is the conversation between Matt and I. Enjoy. Hi, Matt. How are you doing? Um, thanks for joining us uh, for, for today's um, interview. Yeah, it's a complete pleasure. I, I really enjoy engaging with people with lived experience. They, uh, they take their time to engage with me and I, it's, it's a privilege to give a little bit back. It's, um, no, it's very kind of you to, to give up your time for today. And, um, and so I suppose really I just wanted to kind of pick your brains um, about gambling, about your experience, um, about what you do, uh, perhaps some thoughts on where we can go in the future with things. Um, so I guess I suppose a good place to start would be um, would be you know just maybe talking a little bit about your background and experience. Maybe you could just for a minute or two just tell the listeners um, yeah about what you do really. So um, so I lead the um, NHS Northern Gambling Service. Um, so we have three um, three actual. Um, treatment centres, recovery centres uh, in Manchester, Leeds and Sunderland. Um, but they're regional services, uh, regional sites. So we, un- we understand not everybody can travel and get to there. So we also do some outreach and we provide remote consultation as well. Um, it's important to say that as well as dealing with the individual gambler who may be struggling, we also ha- provide a separate service to affected family members or partners people who are just struggling with somebody else's addiction Um, and we tend to work with the more um, in terms of the gamblers we tend to deal with people who've got more significant problems so we are dealing with you know if you think about a continuum of harm we're dealing with people who would be categorized as having if if you like your labels um, people who've got gambling disorder quite significant gambling disorder and um you know, not always, but often they come with co-occurring difficulties. So that's where we specialise. Right. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, so I'm a psychologist by, by training. I'm a consultant psychologist. Um, I lead addictions for the NHS Trust um, that I work in. Um, so, yeah, I've been I've been in addictions for a, for a long time now. It's um, it's my, my sort of passion and I, I'm fascinated by it. And, and I love working with the population as well. I really do. And, uh, I'm, I'm really keen to, you know, to do my little bit and, and try and make a difference, but also to advocate for wider change as well to support and protect um, our communities. Fantastic. Fantastic. There's, um, there's a lot of questions that have, uh, you know, sprung up in my mind there. So, um, I mean, I suppose as I'm, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get this as, as, 
as much as, uh, as, as an essay that I would write at university, where we, well, the introduction would always start with a definition. Um, so, I mean, could you, in the best possible way, could you define what a problem gambler is? Or you say, you, you mentioned about the people that you see that are, that are most, most at risk. Um, can, can, can we define a gambling addiction or, or problem gambling? There isn't one agreed definition, um, but we could talk about some things that would be common in any, any way of thinking about it. So we're, we're obviously dealing with, um, um, we're dealing with a behavior. You know, this is, this is something that people do. We don't, we're not frogs that stick our tongues out automatically when a fly swats past. So we're dealing with a reward seeking behavior, which um, is excessive that there's a there's a sense of a loss of control um and where harm ensues so it, it's a repeated um behavior um where there's a loss of control where it has negative consequences usually those negative consequences are stacking up as time goes on and the perplexing thing for us is that the behavior continues despite those negative consequences um, and that's the thing that, that's fascinating, isn't it, for, for everybody? You know, why did I continue this behavior when it was, you know, it's really starting to harm my life? And others looking in can be perplexed by it. Um, it's also probably worthwhile pointing out that, that um, another marker would be that when you're, you're trying to make an attempt to cut down control or stop the behavior, that you, 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 you tend to have difficulty doing so, even when you make, you know, firm resolutions to, to, to do that. But those are some of the things that I would, I would consider in a definition. Um, I'm not great on some of the labels and the language that's used in this area. We've got to be super mindful not to stigmatize and blame individuals. Um, mm. so, so yeah, we, we, we struggle with the language, I think, that we use and there's different opinions on that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, 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 would, I would say that. I think, I think there's a couple of other things I would mention too that um, gambling harm is on a continuum. So yes, we often talk about this term addiction, which is, is, is folks who are at the, the higher end of the scale. 85% of the gambling harm that occurs, occurs underneath those labels of addiction or problem gambler. So the volume of people who sit under there vastly outweigh the numbers at the very top end of the scale. Um, but interestingly, you know, everybody's worried about prevalence and the numbers. There was a recent YouGov survey just a, a couple of weeks ago, which um, revealed that there's 1.4 million, um, you know, people with gambling disorder in this country. And, and you compare that to 580,000 people with alcohol dependence, for example. Mm. It gives you some idea of the, um, you know, the amount of harm that, that goes on that the public is largely unaware of. No, sure, sure. Um, I mean, I, I, I saw recently that, um, sorry, if anyone's listening, there's, there's a drill in the background and it's, it's highly distracting. I hope this is not coming out on the recording, but um, I shall try and gather my thoughts. But um, yeah, I mean, it, uh, it, um, <laughs> we can cut this bit out, Matt, sorry. <laughs> so distracting. I can't hear anything at my end, so I hope I hope for you that it works out. <laughs> um, sorry, I'm just trying to collect my thoughts of uh, of where to go where to go with this. But um, I mean, you you mentioned about the the individuals there, um, and you know certainly in my case, 
um, it, it very much felt, I, it was all pinned on me, my own sort of conscience of like, this is my fault actually. And when you see the adverts, you know, when the fun stops, stop, um, it's very much put on the individual to, you know, for the individual responsibility. Interestingly, I had a conversation with a trained hypnotherapist um, and we spoke about getting to the root of the problem. Um, and one of his, uh, his mantras or, or one thing that he would say to people would be that he said, it's not your fault. Um, and that, I think for me, that was very powerful. Um, so, I mean, what, 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 what can be done, I suppose, to, to change this, um, this perception? Because I think ultimately what, what I'm trying to do on this channel and this podcast and blog is, is just trying to kind of raise awareness, but also to, um, to, to, to take the stigma away um, from, from gambling because it can very much be, um, uh, I remember in the community, my, you know, for example, my mom, I'm not blaming my mum, but anyone that would have a, be known as a gambler was like known to be quite a, perhaps connotations of, of someone uh, who is maybe a weak person. Um, and uh, it was connotations of, I don't know. Um, it, it, it just wasn't, it just wasn't very nice. So, um, so, so what do you think can be done um, to, to change this opinion? The first thing to do, which, which I mean, it's great to hear that you've, you've, you've got to this point. The first thing is to identify that individualizing um, this is, is really harmful. Um, so putting the burden of blame and, and onto the individual um, is, you know, just wholly wrong, inaccurate. It's an untruth and it needs to be challenged wherever you can do it. Um, and we've all got to be careful about this. You know, individuals, you know, take that, that blame on. They lose their self-respect. They can start to loathe themselves. It can be really risky in terms of making them feel suicidal and, and, and add to the, the burden of the problems that they're having. It, it, it removes very, very cleverly this idea of responsible gambling and focusing on indi faulty individuals. Um, you know, it's a very clever, sophisticated approach perpetuated by the gambling industry to avoid attention where attention needs to be paid, which is to the commercial practices of the industry and their addictive products and their methods. Mm. Um, it, it's all part of a carefully constructed um, approach by big industries that we used to have um, and we still have with tobacco and, and alcohol and others. This is a responsibility that needs to be to be shared um, when you're formulating and trying to understand gambling. You can't do it without a focus on the commercial environment that the behavior exists within. Mm. It's just not possible. So, you know, professionals have to be very careful too. you know, psychiatrists, psychologists, you know, we're trained to focus on individuals. We're trained to sort of, you know, listen and get into the minds of individuals and find clues and, and, and try and understand the behavior. But, you know, to understand this behavior, you have to broaden this out to the commercial environment and understand how that operates and how, um, you know, we are in an era now where the gambling industry has expanded exponentially since the Gambling Act. Um, we've moved, we're in an era of, of tech, technology and the shift from land-based to, to technology and the ease of access and availability. Um, we're in a we're in an environment of very light touch regulation. We're in an era of mass normalization. The advertising is everywhere. It's online. Um, mm -hmm. You know the the way that um, 
the way that it works these days that you know people are, are targeted young people particularly which is a huge change from when i was young you know when i was young gambling was done behind seemingly behind closed doors you just couldn't mm. even see into the venues you know there were frosted windows at bookmakers and so on mm. and large you know mostly gambling was was a what i'd consider a discontinuous activity where you might bet on a couple of horses on a saturday afternoon but you weren't continually preoccupied and focused and frequently betting and gambling like you are with today's um, casino games and 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 with the amount of sort of horse and dog racing and virtual racing that goes on mm. um, so the uh, what I would say is is first of all we've got to recognize the wider determinants of harm this isn't you know you might consider the individual you might consider their environment their development but you have to also look much more broadly at the commercial environment and their practices including promotions VIP schemes adverts but also wider society as well. What's happening to us all <clears throat> as individuals as we're growing up and, and the, the stresses, the, the pressures on young people, um, what's expected of us, and sometimes the need for, you know, for escape that we all have as well to get away. Mm. I'm, not, I'm not talking, you know, just about what people might consider mental health problems. I'm just talking generally about society, the way it's constructed, the fragmentation of our society and how we tend to be drawn to some of these other, other uh, behaviors to, um, you know, to just get away from life sometimes. Yeah, sure. Sure. I mean, I appreciate gambling can be that, um, you know, you can get into that, that bubble of, uh, of, of wanting to get away. Um, and, and, and um, again, you know, after the, the conversation that I had with um, the, the hypnotherapist, um, Yoni, he, he sort of said, well, maybe subliminally um, there was something there that, you, you know, that I was trying to get away from. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I, agree, I agree that, you know, nobody grows up wanting to have a gambling problem. You know, it comes back to that. I haven't met a single mm. person that thought, you know, this is exactly where I wanted to end up. Mm. You know, this has been my goal. So something has happened along the way. It's usually a very gradual, insidious process. People don't, you know, necessarily start gambling and then it's a hundred miles an hour all day on the first day. It tends to be a process that people don't even recognise how far they've got into it um, and, and don't recognise the depths of the difficulties that, that are arising and until it's quite quite late. And um, so I. I think it's really important that all professionals who are engaged around this, as well as people with lived experience, understand the wider determinants of harm and education and, and treatment and support help people understand that so that, um, that that responsibility that ultimately people take. So individuals do have some responsibility and that ultimately they take that responsibility as you've done to change and, and, and courageously do that. But that has to be shared by a, a responsible environment that um, that protects people. Yeah, I mean, it it, it definitely seems that um, the the Gambling Act is 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 well out of date. You know, two thousand and five. Um, uh, you know, the, as I say, was before, was pretty... before smartphones, before yeah. it all went online. Yeah, there's more there's more reference to to postal to the, to the post than there is to to online. Um, mm. And yeah, I mean, it's it, it's difficult to to convey how much the environment has changed. You know, the mass advertising, the ease and availability, 
um, and the lack of regulation and protection and just how, how embedded it's got in our groups and in our society, um, you know, in different age groups as well, older age as well as, you know, young men and women growing up who see gambling as the adverts portray, which is this is a very fun, engaging, entertaining leisure activity. Mm. And the harms are hidden, they're hidden from the public. People have no idea about the addictive nature of products or the way that this normalization can engender, um, you know, attitudes and fondness for particular brands and, and particular ways of, of doing things. And, and it's very, very easy for, for young, young and vulnerable people to, to fall into this. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's worth saying, as we always have to do, that, you know, for a lot of people, this is a fun and engaging activity. But mm. I do think there's a real difference between this and alcohol, drug misuse and so on, where the public have a much greater awareness of the harms. I think we have a long way to go with gambling before people really get that. Yeah, sure. Sure. I mean, um, yeah, uh, sorry, so, 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 as, as always, so much to say, so much to think about and, and ponder. Um, so, so, I mean, the, the, thing, the thing for me, I think, you know, gambling is so broad. Um, in, in, in my own instance, it was the casinos, it was roulette, uh, blackjack. Um, but of course, you know, gambling is, is so broad. You're talking like horse racing, like you say, uh, bingo, which is another, uh, you know, a big one um, that you, you see a lot yeah. of on the TV. Um, yeah, yeah, they're not all the same. They're not all the same. So, um, you know, so and it's broad. I agree with you. And, and I think the public are not aware of this as well. And it's we've got to be careful too that we don't necessarily brand this as a one-size-fits-all. Um, I think the difficulty that we've got is that we have got a range of products which are um, fast, intensive, immersive, where you can um, bet very frequently over short periods of time where you don't have the opportunity to step out and reflect, where you can just be drawn into this other world without really being aware of your surroundings, you can lose time. Um, and it, it's not just the product. So there's particular products like that, which, are, which have got certain characteristics. Um, we call them things like event frequency, bet frequency, um, speed of play, and so on. Um, but also where you yourself create an environment where you can be betting on multiple things and remain uh, gambling for a, for a prolonged period of time. So you could have multiple accounts open on your, on, on, you know, where you're looking at, you've got different things on the go, different games on the go. You could be in a bookmaker's betting on horses and dogs and virtual racing all at the same time. So you're constantly in play, frequently betting, frequently renewing and thinking about the next bet um, without any time for reflection. So, I, I mean, that just gives you a little bit of an idea. Whereas something like, say, the National Lottery, you know, once or twice a week is discontinuous. It's fairly benign. Um, I'm not saying it's completely harm free, but we're not going to get referrals into our clinics for the National Lottery because it doesn't contain the same addictive characteristics that other forms of gambling do. Yeah, I mean, uh, one thing I saw recently was like, for example, Australia, um, they've banned um, TV uh, adverts between, I think, half past five in the morning and um, 8.30 at night. And um, 
you know, they were saying people as young as six uh, or children as young as six were, you know, able to identify brands, right, able to, you know, identify betting odds and stuff like that. So um, I don't know if it, 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 is it, it, am I safe to ask what you think, what can be done, um, obviously to, you know, in the future. Um, I know Matt Zarb, cousin, has, has done a lot of, uh, you know, work, um, or, you know, campaign for fairer gambling and, and, and the, the new campaign of clean up gambling. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what your thoughts are about that and, and the future. Yeah, I mean, the, the, question, the question really is where do you begin because there's so much and, and, and there's so many opinions on this. It's very, very tricky to say concisely. Um, I, I, would, I would say that we need a comprehensive new gambling act that really has, um, contains a comprehensive review, first of all. We need a significant change to advertising, promotions, VIP schemes, sports sponsorship. So I'd see, you know, a huge change there as we've had with tobacco i mean tobacco used to be you know amongst sports and other things and it no longer is um there's a question as to whether you could have adverts on in the early hours for example away from children but children need to be completely protected away and not see images of gambling mm. in sports or on the television or online mm. um so a huge change there there needs to be changes to addictive products um, in terms of accessibility, ease of accessibility, um, uh, game design can be amended and can be altered in order to make them less addictive. There could be categorization of addictive products to give the public a greater idea of the harms. Mm. Um, I'd consider um, having an ombudsman and a fair system for uh, people to complain. At the moment, there seems to be a real un un injustice there. Um, I'd think about some kind of afford national affordability approach where, where you, you potentially, I mean, it's different ways of doing this, but you can have um, some sort of national membership scheme that would cover both online and land-based where you make pre-commitments linked to affordability. So this is the amount I can stake every month and that I can afford. And, it's, and that, those are my ma mandatory limits um, that would protect consumers. Of course, you can have higher limits if you can afford that and you, 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 know, you have a higher income. It, it's not to put barriers in place for those that can afford. The majority of people are on a modest income. It disproportionately affects um, you know, people who are on um, you know, mo mo more modest incomes. Um, I would stop VIP schemes and inducements, free bets, all of these things, which I think are rather egregious and, and, and harmful practices. That, yeah. that the industry have um so yeah i mean those are a few things i i i could go on but um <laughs> yeah you know i mean i mean you know for example in australia they don't have casino games online they don't but, have they not no i didn't know that no they no. don't have in-play betting online so the online space is particularly tricky in that people are gambling in isolation on their own we yeah. don't know if they're drinking as well or what else is going on in their life Mm. Um, and, you know, I mean, just yesterday I asked on, on Twitter, you know, if people could give me an idea of what interventions they'd had by, by industry, you know, operators or staff on, in land-based mm. venues. And, you know, everything that came back said, you know, I've, I, I've been gambling for years and years. I've not had anything at all. Yeah. You know, I, or, or there might be the odd, you know, message of, are you happy with your gambling? Um, and so that to me 
it's just not good enough. I think gambling has to be based on the principle of affordability, that people should not get into a position where they are gambling more than they want to on things that they didn't intend to gamble on mm. and they're losing more money than they can afford. Um, so however you do it, and there's different opinions on this, I respect that, and not everybody's going to you know, agree with, with some of the things that I said, as long as that principle is adhered to and it's set in stone as a red line, then we start to get somewhere. Um, you know, studies, are, studies um, around the world are estimating that around 30% of industry revenue is coming from problem gambling. Wow. So there's a huge pushback and reluctance from industry for regulation. Mm. Um, mm. You know, pushback on, you know, the VIP schemes were amended recently. Um, but of course, they're not, they're not stopped because, um, you know, I think at the House of Lords committee recently, GVC admitted, I think it was GVC admitted around 35%, 40% of their income comes from, um, you know, one and a half percent of their consumers who are on VIP schemes. Oh my God. Sorry, G G G sorry you said GVC. Um, sorry, who, really stupid question. Who, who are GVC? Is that a company? Is that, or is that a, a, an acronym there? Or? Yeah, so that, 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 that's, um, off, there, there are operators who have um, Ladbrokes and Coral, for example. Okay, right. right. Wow, Jesus. <laughs> so big, big operators, some of the bigger names. Yeah, um, 30%. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they also admitted that, um, you know, at, um, the, the CEO admitted at the committee that 99% of gambling accounts are all losing accounts. You know, are, are consumers, are punters aware of that? Are they aware that the other one percent, if you get an edge, you're likely to have your account suspended or say. slowed down or, or severely restricted? Mm. So I think the other thing that's never mentioned too is that there's a. I, I'm not so sure we're on a fair level playing field where consumers are fully aware of what's happening, what the environment is, what the tactics are, how mm. you're kind of pulled in into this, and and how unjust and unfair it is. You know, it can be difficult to withdraw funds. We know that as well. The mm. re reverse withdrawal function. You know, we could just go on and on all day about things that need attention to mm. make it a level fair playing field for people mm. and and whether where they're adequately protected. Mm. Mm. Yeah. No. Just just going off that thought. I mean, I've got a friend who um, is into horse racing, and he is um, he's very good. He, he, he's you know he's, he's uh, as you mentioned, he probably falls into the 1% of people that do win. Um, and he said, uh, I think pretty much every account but bar one has been closed down um, because he is essentially taking money off the bookmakers. And the fact that you've just mentioned that 99% uh, you know, of accounts are losing account, I mean, it's just like, I'm just shaking my head. It's yeah. just, it's just preposterous. Yeah. And then obviously, the, you know, the longer you gamble as well, the, the more you're going to lose. You know, these are, these are sort of, you know, truths that, that need to just be out there so people can at least be much more informed of what's going on. Um, but at the same time, you know, the casual punter, the casual better, that's all, that's all okay. We don't want to be restricting that too much. But, you know, just as we're doing with COVID at the moment, for example, you know, we might think that only a small percentage of the population are going to be severely harmed by by covid but we are doing everything we can to protect them aren't we we're all in it to, to, yeah. it's yeah. worth the effort to to apply what we call the precautionary principle where mm. we move this to protect 
you know, the group of, of people who are going to be harmed by this harmful commodity and environment, whilst appreciating that, um, you know, a greater number of people are going to be able to, to casually bet and, 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 and enjoy that. Um, but we just need to shift it um, and get the right balance. We're, we're way off, way off Alex at the moment. No, of course, of course, Matt. Well, um, are you okay for maybe one more question? Yeah, uh, well, I'm like, oh, the pressure, I've got to make it a good one. You've been such a fountain of, uh, of knowledge and, and, you know, source of great information. So, um, you know, thank you. Thank you so far. But, um, you know, what, what's pleasing, we had a separate uh, telephone conversation, um, you know, last week or so. And um, it was really pleasing to hear that, that you, you mentioned that there was going to be 15 new um, gambling clinics opening up in this country. Um, which is is good news, and it 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 does feel good that um, that after conversations like we're having, uh, the stuff that you know that you're doing and others are doing on you know social media and whatnot, um, other other um, cha charity that I really uh, feel strongly f uh, about um, is gambling with lives. You know, there, there's there's numerous, there's numerous. Um, that's that's very close to my heart, given. Um, a, a, a suicide in the, in the local community or two so um so there's an emotional interest in this is and, and and social political whatever so um it, it it feels good that stuff is being done and you mentioned that people are listening you know because in in the government and whatnot um so i mean i don't know what your thoughts are on about that you know it, uh, how can I frame a question? I don't think it is a question. I think it's just a point to make. But um, uh, yeah, I think um, it's just good to know that that we're we're having these conversations and, and hopefully driving change. I think that's the ultimate the, the the ultimate goal. It's really important that that people come together on this issue across the country. Um, so whether you whether it's lived experience, I mean, the lived experience voice is really coming on more and more and it's absolutely fantastic so i've you know i've tried to embrace this ever since um, you know we started designing the clinics we've involved lived experience we continue to do so um, that voice is so important um, for change um, because that their lived testimonies of in, you know just incredible mm -hmm. harm and trauma that people have been through and the courage that it's taken them to rebuild their lives um, clinicians as well that very few clinicians speak out about this hardly any um we need to do more there need to be more people speaking out um is that, is that, Matt, is that because of the, the 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 they feel danger to you know maybe loss of job or is, is it is it because it's political do you think it's difficult to say it wouldn't it's not really my place to speak on behalf of other people but i i, I you know we, we we ought to be aware that how the industry have um, have been able to get to the point where they're sort of directing a lot of things that maybe they ought not to have a place at the table with. Mm -hmm. So research being one. So why should the majority of research in the UK be funded by the gambling industry, where that research has such a narrow focus, where vested interests will never be questioned, it continues the status quo, you know, um, education, you know you sort of think you know well great we've got this education but should we have you know um gambling industry funded education you know would we have the tobacco industry funding you know going into our, our schools and talking to our children or would that feel better if it was independent mm. and it was free of any potential you know any any conflicts of interest there um so yeah i mean 
you know, the, there's always the possibility that what, what's happening is it, it buys silence, you know, for industry funding buys silence and it, and, it, mm-hmm. and it takes attention away, whether that's through the education. And I, I you know, I, I don't know, um, you know, I've not been to these education sessions, but there's the danger that, that, that some of the education sessions could have a narrower focus mm-hmm. um, so that it doesn't bite the, the hand that feeds. Um, research as well very problematic very difficult to get independent funding mm-hmm. um, but the industry is dictating and um, so I think you know my own point of view is that this environment would be much better if there was um, funding a funding um, position where there was a mandatory levy or a tax taxation system through government where the industry w- were taxed and it was a hypothecated tax and either direction of that funding that money goes into through the government out into an independent council for research education Mm. treatment prevention public health as well it's all independent Mm. Um, I think that would help everybody if that was the case Mm. Um, but to go back to your your, your point yes there are people in government who are listening and that's great there's been a recent house of lords committee that that they're writing their reports there's the APPG they're busy writing their next uh, reports as well. They have influence. But we also need to be aware that the industry are very sophisticated, very powerful. They lobby very heavily um, and they're in the corridors of power as well and, mm-hmm. and, you know, very influential. So we all need to come together. Often there's differences of opinion in this area and people can get split, but, um, which is unfortunate, but the, we, we all need to come together who want to advocate for change and take on those vested interests. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. I feel, um, I feel if, I could, if I could just squeeze one more question out of you, uh, because I feel it, it, seems, um, it seems foolish of me to not actually ask you about the NHS clinics and, and you know, what you do in them and the support that you give and that you offer. Mm-hmm. So you're right. We're... Um, in the, in the next two to three years, the NHS is expanding its um, its reach across the country, so to every ma- every major region in the country. Um, so the three that we've got in North are really the first phase of, of that expansion. Um, we've got good coverage in London and around the southeast with uh, with the with the uh, national clinic there. Mm. Um, so that's going to expand, and and we need to. Um, you know, look at how it fits into the wider infrastructure and, and make that a lot clearer for, for everybody. Um, we know where the NHS sits, where the third sector sits, where rehab sits, where um, education sits and how we all collaborate and work together. Um, so in terms of what we do, um, it's difficult to, to say um, concisely, but um, so we're all behavior change specialists, you know, we're all professionals, psychologists, um, therapists, um, and so on. Um, we, um, not, not, you know, all gamblers are not the same. So it's important that they get a, a, a you know, have an opportunity to have a thorough conversation where we understand their gambling and, and, the, and the context and, and the development of it. We understand where they want to get to, um, and we collaborate on that together. We're equal partners. Um, it's important that we look to develop their motivation and the confidence that they can do it. Um, mm. And we give them the, the tools and skills to address the behavior. So there's, there's programs to address the addiction itself. And there's quite a bit of work to do there. Mm. But equally, it's so important to move somebody 
away from the behavior and to build their life um, and see that they can achieve their goals. Um, they can live out their values that are important to them. They can reconstruct, if need be, relationships um, and engage with meaningful um, relationships with other people, with employment, education, activities, um, leading their own good life, really, and also building a recovery community around that so that people are surrounded continually through that journey with people who have um, recovered, are recovering, mm. um, where they've got those role models and they've got those mentors as well, um, as well as the professionals. And then also that we help them into the wider society, that you know, their local community and embed themselves you know, with their families, with their, with their loved ones. Um, to see that they can outgrow this. This isn't mm. just focusing on the addiction. It's also learning how to develop and, and grow as a, as a human being and reach your potential. The one thing I have to say that's, that strikes me, you know, every time I, I assess somebody, even though they might feel that they're sort of a little bit down and out at the, at the time, these people have so much potential, so much life to live, so much, so many strengths about them that it's also about just helping draw that out of them, that they have got, there is hope, there is optimism, um, there are clear strengths there. Um, so, so there's quite a bit of that. Um, we, get, we also specialise if they have co-occurring difficulties. So sometimes there are people who come with emotional difficulties, um, with difficulties managing and regulating emotions, um, people might have more long-standing other 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 difficulties or mental health problems as well so we're able to do that we're able to do that under one house they don't have to go and sit on a waiting list somewhere else for six months or so whilst whilst we figure it all out um, so yeah there's a number of things that we do um, we treat the individual as a holistic person and we flex our offer to that person really mm. and as I said at the outset we 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 deal with affected others and family members as well as a standalone intervention as well so mm. um, and once we've graduated whether that's a family member or a gambler from our active treatment we put them into a 12-month aftercare um, offer where they'll continue to, to be in recovery groups and be mentored and uh, be able to have access to a professional and if they get into a real high risk moment or situation, they can get direct access via telephone coaching as well. So even if they've been months absent, for example, and mm. they just find themselves highly vulnerable, feeling like they're not going to be able to control an urge, or they might have even had a slip, <clears throat> they, can, they can get in touch with us and be coached out of that moment and back on track. So we're trying to evolve our model and, and um, work with, with partners and stakeholders um, to do what we can but I think it's important to say that we don't want we want people to move from the professional involvement with us to, to learning that they can you know they've got the resources to manage this as well themselves and with with help of their loved ones and others so we want to move people on and move people um, forward as well and, and mm. reduce the professional involvement as 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 time unfolds mm. so i don't know whether that makes any sense um, oh no i'm, I'm I, yeah quite a lot that there's quite a lot that we do it's difficult yeah. to be concise and um, no, about no, it no i, I mean i'm, I'm for, for, for the listeners uh, you know, i'm just sat here kind of staring at the screen kind of nodding and just absorbing and at one at one one moment it was it, i was getting a tad emotional it was um just hearing about that, you know, you saying about that there is potential um, 
to, to, to lead a new life and there's, you know, new opportunities yeah. will present themselves. And I, I think it's just, you know, and this is for free, right? This is NHS. This is free yeah. treatment. Free yeah. point of use. Absolutely. Yes. So you get access to, you know, to, to all of these different things and activities and you can negotiate it with us as well. Um, yeah, it's all, all free of charge. Yeah. Um, and I think the emotional bit is what you were mentioning before. If we, you know, when we're thinking about the hope that there is and the optimism that there is um, for, for people and, and the way that, you know, lives can be turned around and individuals turn their lives around, we're also mindful of those who, who haven't been able to do that and how, how gambling can consume people mm. to the point where they can't see that hope anymore. Mm. And, you know, the Gambling With Lives charity have been absolutely, you know, wonderful and amazing and courageous in, in what they've been able to do in you know because those young men and women um had all of that as well they had all of those strengths they had all of those qualities about them um and yet this harmful commodity and this environment can really consume people and and they lose themselves completely to the point where they can't see a way out and they lose control and, and decision making and autonomy and um, and so on and, and feel it feel that, 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 that you know life is never going to get any better so mm. we um, we also remember them and, and and are mindful of how serious this environment is and this work is that we're all in and, and how passionate we all are to to create change so that um, those kind of outcomes are uh, significantly minimized um, you know arising out of these awful tragedies hopefully is you know the greatest um, respect we can pay to those families is to be 100% passionate about change and, and making sure that these uh, these kind of things don't happen to other families. Mm. I think um, Matt I think that's that, I think that's a great uh, great place to, to, to end actually and, and finish on I think that's a fantastic note um, oh yeah a bit taken aback there but um, yeah I think that's the the main aim isn't it that, that you know hopefully if someone's listening to this one per just one person if we can just make a difference um that's that's the main aim i agree i couldn't agree more i think uh, just just come forward there's a variety of different support not just on the nhs with the third sector with with gamblers anonymous um, um and the important thing is to come forward and just have informal conversations it's not some sort of weird mysterious place with yeah. people with lab coats who are going to look down on you the, the, you know you'll, you'll meet a human being who will listen will understand will not shame you will not judge you and and will help you um move your life forward and we can be you know really optimistic if they can come forward that we can do that you know the outcomes are pretty good um you know it's taking that first step that's the all important bit i don't you know you, you may remember it's just you know acknowledging that there's a problem uh, talking to a loved one about it admitting that there's something you know and the relief that you get from doing that and from yeah. engaging with you know with with loved ones or with with a professional um is the first most important step you know mm -hmm. absolutely Absolutely. So yeah, we, we hope we hope you know if we reach one person with this, that would be worthwhile, Alex. It's time well spent between us. <laughs> no, nice one, Matt. That's a nice one. Is um is there anything at all? I mean, I feel like I could probably uh, I could probably sit here for another couple of hours and speak to you, but is there anything at all that you would like to mention um that that you've not talked about? Or is there anything else that you wanna you wanna you wanna speak about just before we go? Or, or, um, or have, have, I, have I, have I, you know, run you out of all your, you know, your energy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh no, definitely not. I, I, this is a subject you could keep me <laughs> talking about all day, but um, but no, I, I just thank you for reaching out, and um, um, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Um, I'm sure there's a lot more we could talk about, and maybe one day we'll get a chance to do that and come back for some more. So yeah, the door's always open. Who knows? That's absolutely fantastic. I would uh, absolutely love that. So um, thanks once again, Matt, and uh, I'll uh, speak to you soon. My pleasure. pleasure talking to Matt and hearing about the NHS clinics and his thoughts on the landscape of the gambling industry. Thanks once again to him for talking so openly and sharing his knowledge and insight. As always, plenty of takeaways from the conversation. The fantastic treatment the NHS clinics provide, not only to the problem gambler, but also to affected family members. How he sees a huge amount of potential in people with a gambling disorder and how there is hope that you can beat this addiction and turn your life around for the better. His thoughts on the normalisation of gambling to young people, for example, removing gambling sports sponsorships similar to the removal of tobacco sponsorships, and not forgetting all the people that have lost their lives to gambling addiction, and especially supporting the fantastic work of Gambling With Lives, a charity set up by bereaved families and friends of loved ones who've taken their own lives from gambling-related suicide. So, so far in the series, we've heard from former gamblers, Darren and George, and their experiences. We've heard from Katie at GamStop and how to put controls in place to stop gambling. And now we've just spoken to Matt to find out about the NHS treatment available in this country. But it would be great to hear from an industry insider to hear their point of view on problem gambling. Let's find out in the next episode of the Invisible Addiction podcast when I speak to Richard Flint, the former CEO of Skybet.